Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. I think, and maybe you guys can correct me, is today National Ice Cream Day? Is it? Was it last week? Somebody needs to look that up, but um, I think today is, and I think, what? There's not ice cream here, no. The no. But what I'm saying is maybe afterwards, because I just saw it this morning, and I was like, well, maybe we need to go get ice cream afterwards. That should be a thing. Um, but yeah, uh, kids will be in the service, and um, thank you guys for being flexible with that, and just, I don't know, maybe reward them with some ice cream afterwards. It's today? We got confirmation. Thank you, Randy. Look at that. Technology making it happen. So I think there needs to be some kind of, uh, yeah, this is a glorious day. We should really celebrate. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but um, I have a really, really, really important topic to talk about is what is the most important seat in the car? Shotgun. <laughs> Driver's seat. What is the most important seat in the car? Middle seat. That was ours growing up. Yeah, that's right. I don't know if you guys know Brian Regan. He's a comedian, but he talks about like back seat in the middle, feet on the hump. Do you guys know what the hump is? Okay, if you had an old school car, a station wagon, it had a little hump and your feet would go up on it. That was my favorite seat growing up. Um, but no, shotgun is one of the best, right? You're not responsible, but you get just to go along for the ride and, and you get front seat. Yeah, AC in your face. Um, we're going to talk about seating, and we're going to talk about seats of prestige. And, um, and in today's passage, we see where Jesus calls us to sit, okay? Um, and it might not be what you think it is, all right? Some of you guys already know where I'm going with this and what's going to happen. But um, it, I, just, I just, growing up, I just remember there was always a battle. How many of you guys have siblings and battled for seats growing up. Okay, so you guys know what I'm talking about when you're like, I called shotgun. Yeah, he knows I'm calling shotgun. Can't quite call shotgun yet. Um, but, uh, but special seating, there's something about it, right? Like we just, we chase after it. Um, and it's not just in cars, right? We can talk about the rest of life as you get into the business world and we start to talk about um, yeah, people just stepping on other people to try and get shotgun sometimes, right? So that's kind of where this is going, just so you guys know where this passage is headed um, and what we're about to read. And, um, and so let me just read it. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along. And um, actually, you know what? I think I'm going to follow on the screen because I think it's a different translation. I'll go with the NIV for you guys. So, um, so the first passage is this little chunk of Scripture. Um, and we're going through the book of Mark, just so you know, like we're just reading through this gospel that Mark wrote, his account of who Jesus is, who the disciples were, how to begin to follow him and really learn from him. And, um, and as you read through, Mark structured certain passages and certain events that he recalled of Jesus' life in a certain order. And so there's going to be two passages that kind of tie together here. 
Um, and there's a reason we're going to not just look at this passage, we're going to look at the one after it. So uh, it starts out, chapter 10, verse 32. It says, They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, though, he will rise. So this is one thought that happens. And now we're going to go into this next verse in verse 40. And he begins to, you begin to see something that ties in that initially you don't think it ties in, but it does. So he says, Jesus said to them, You will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand or left hand. Oh, um, I left a passage out of there. Um, Yeah. Oh, there you go. Okay, so then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, "We, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's kind of a big demand. We want you to do whatever we want, okay, Jesus? That's pretty bold to approach him with that one. Um. What do you want me to do for you? So he's like pretty humble about it. He's like, so what do you want, guys? Uh, They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. So sons of Zebedee, James and John, pretty bold. Out of the 12, they're like, hey, we want special seating. We want to sit at your right and left in heaven, okay? So it gets better. Watch. Um, You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. You guys are idiots. Come on, what's going on? Um, Jesus said, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. We're all in. We can do this. And so check this out. He says, you will drink the cup um, I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10 heard about this, could you imagine... When the other 10 heard about the special seating that these guys are requesting, it says that they were, what, indignant with James and John. They're a little, I think indignant is probably a a nice way of saying it. Mark was like playing it off kind of cool, you know, like these guys, they somehow think they're better than us. What's going on? Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now you see where the whole seating comes in. James and John somehow thought that they could have better seating than everyone else. Like they had called shotgun first. Do you remember the shotgun rules? You can't call shotgun until you see the car? Okay, so these guys were trying to call shotgun way before anything, and they're like, we're going to get best seats. And you can imagine what the other ten are thinking. For real? What makes you two more special than the rest of us, right? So there's a bit of a a hierarchy and a pride moment, not only with James and John, but then with the other 10 that they're like, but wait, aren't we special too? Shouldn't we get best special seats? And you got to remember also, a little side note is, Jesus wasn't just journeying with these 12. There was also the 72. There was others that were following along. 
So these 12 somehow thought they were like, we're more holy than the rest of them. Like, we get to really hang with Jesus. These other guys, I don't know. They aren't, they're not doing things right. Like, maybe they're not doing communion correctly or something. I don't know. Um, which wouldn't happen quite yet, but we'll get to that. Um, so there's a jealousy, there's a pride, there's an issue with what's going on here that I think Jesus addresses pretty clearly. But what Mark points out in the passage before that, where he says, the Son of Man will die, right? That he's going to lay down his life. And so what we see initially, we think, are two disconnected passages, are really connected. Jesus models for us what it looks like to be in a place of humility, what it means to be someone who serves. Um, and, and so one of the first things I want to just begin to see, uh, begin to unpack here a little bit is just why would Mark drop this prediction that Jesus makes right before this passage? Um, and I think he does that right before he talks about two really prideful brothers um, to reveal to us what the kingdom looks like and how the kingdom operates. What I mean by that is the cup that Jesus refers to in that passage um, refers to sacrifice, refers to giving up of your life in order for others to thrive, right? And so Jesus describes what leadership looks like in a Gentile world in the end of that passage. He says, in this world, people will rule over you with leadership, with some kind of power, right? And that kind of power, um, the example that we see in our world, um, what he does is he pushes back and says that that doesn't work. And I think we see it, I would say even right now, we're seeing a lot of how that doesn't work, how that CEO model of like, where he refers to as like the Gentile leadership, the way of like leading and lording over people. Um, we see it really common right now. I think people are starting to see um, in a lot of businesses how that plays out. Um, I think, who was it? There's the guy who, um, the CEO of Moderna just came out. There's like millions of dollars that he's getting in a golden parachute and millions of dollars that he's getting as a benefit of a pandemic, right? Like, and people are going like, wait, why is he getting so much? You look at Jeff Bezos and you look at all these different people that are like profiting off of the last couple of years of people struggling and now are making millions and just like hoarding it for themselves and just saying, yeah, we're going to keep dropping the hammer, right? Employees aren't getting rewarded. Employees aren't being taken care of. And so I think this like, this idea of how people lord over others, it wasn't just something that existed 2,000 years ago in Jesus' day. The reference that he's making, it still exists because there will always be leaders in position with pride. There will always be leaders in position where they will say, it's about me and everyone else is going to suffer at the cost of me, right? And I'm gonna, they're just going to, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get to the top and keep climbing higher and higher, even if it costs everybody else for that to happen. And, um, and so I think we all know, like we see this played out. Uh, I had a really interesting conversation with a friend of mine that I was diving with this week. We were out spearfishing and sat on the boat for hours having these conversations and um, talking about Jesus and talking about his faith and how he grew up um, kind of going to church and watching Christians from the outside looking in. And his critique was the Christians that he saw in the leadership 
that he saw in Christians a lot of times were used for selfish gain. That he said a lot of the Christian CEOs and business people that he worked for used it in a way to selfishly gain either financially or relationships. And he's like, and I just saw through that. And he's like, I saw how corrupt they were and how much they took advantage of other people and the things they did behind the scenes. And he was like, I wanted nothing to do with that. And I was like, I don't either. Like, I'm not okay with that either, like as a Christian, as a pastor. He knows I'm a pastor. So we have these conversations. And, um, and I was just like, I think people know, whether you're a Christian or not, we know what good leadership looks like, what humility looks like, what people um, should be doing with the gifts and talents and skills and abilities that they have, right? And what Jesus does, he completely flips it on his head. And he says, this is how the world lords over Gentiles or over people, basically. Um, he says, not so with you. He says, with you, we're going to live differently. We're going to flip this thing on its head. And he says, with you, I want you guys to be servants. I want you guys to be the people that will love people when other people are going to lord over them. And so Jesus calls his disciples back to this action continually where he says, but it shall not be so among you. It shall not be so among you. Like that's the invitation we have is to be so countercultural that when people like my friend who I'm talking to are like Christians, yeah, those are the ones that, yeah, they just take advantage of whatever they can with whoever they can, however they can. What if the conversation with him was like, yeah, dude, Christians I've met, like they're so generous. Like the bosses that I've had that were Christians, they were like, they cared for me and my well-being and they just, they did, they bent over backwards to make sure that I was doing well. What if that was the testimony? And he was like, yeah, dude, I actually want to be part of that community. I was like, oh, it was kind of heartbreaking to think about that, right? But we all know people that are Christians that are upstanding, that are inspiring. The reason I'm standing here is because of a Christian leader that lived their life so generous that I was like, I want to be part of that. I'm in. They were praying for me. I know that they cared. They were generous, loving, kind people. And that's what convinced me that Christianity was real. But man, the flip side how sad is that? How sad is that 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 exists, right? And so what Jesus says, it's not, it's not going to be like that with us. We're not going to live that way. We're going to be a different breed of people, a different kind of community. And so I think the reason that Jesus drops this prediction right before that, or Mark drops that prediction right before this passage, is because of that very clear sense of humility. Jesus wasn't like, I love you guys, and uh, it's just in, like, lip service. It was, I love you guys, and I'm going to go all the way to the point of death, right? Like, it even says that he was spit on, right? Like, like those little details aren't in there just to be like, yeah, that adds some, like, graphic visual. It, it's to help us understand that, like, he did the lowliest of lowly. Like, he served in a way that none of us can fathom being like, yeah, I'm in right? Jesus modeled like a true humility, what it looks like to really love. The disciples, I think, misunderstood that religiosity doesn't necessarily mean you're abiding in Christ. And I think that's why that story happens after that, where Jesus has this conversation with James and John that They were like, we're so religious. We got this thing down. We're following you. We're doing, we give up everything we have to follow you, right? Like, we're committed. We're doing the religious thing. And Jesus is like, you still don't get it. Because the question they asked was, do we get shotgun? 
right? Do we get the best seats? They somehow still, deep down inside, didn't understand what Jesus was teaching them. They still, like, missed the point that it's like it's about this deep humility that says, I'll take the back seat in the middle, my feet on the hump, you know, like, I don't need shotgun. I don't need to be in charge. I don't need to be the one up front constantly. Like, that he models for them really what it looks like to follow, to orient life, their beliefs, their actions completely around following God. I think we need to learn from this, this story. I know that I am learning deeply as I've been wrestling with it this week what it looks like to have this kind of humility, what it looks like to say, I'm not going to look for the seat of prestige. I'm not always going to look for the best situation because other people are going to be in the back seat at that point, right? And, and I know this analogy can break down eventually, but it's a heart posture, right? How does it feel when somebody, uh, when you're anybody at any age, right? Because I had this happen last week um, with Tiffany, actually. Um, someone gave me the front seat. They're like, you have long legs, go sit up front right? How does that feel when somebody else says, and you're initially like, no, you, this is your car, you should be sitting up front. How does that feel when you're like, they're like, no, you should sit up front. What does that feel like? You guys can respond. What does it feel like when you get to sit up front? Feels good, right? It's like, oh, all right, that's cool. Like, I really tried to give it to you, but man, that's so nice of you to do that. Like, oh, somebody's thinking of you, right? Somebody sacrificed their seat, their opportunity for you. And it feels good, doesn't it? Oh, it's like, I feel, I feel bad for taking it. Yeah, it's like we're all trying to up each other. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I remember my, when my daughters were first able to sit in the front seat. And I forgot how beautiful that is, like how cool it is when you get to sit in the front seat with dad, you know, like. And now we have a bench seat, and so both of them sit up front. And they're like, can we both sit up front and just put the armrest up? I'm like, yeah. How rad does that feel, you know? Like, that's what Jesus is inviting us to, like, usher in, to bring to people's lives. Like, you come out of the front seat, you know? But he's like, but if you're asking for the front seat, why is that? Somehow that becomes the wrong thing. It's when you're, it's about a posture. It's about a heart posture, right, of humility, but if you're like, I deserve front seat, that's different than, oh, thank you for giving me the front seat. We see the difference? But yet we fight over shotgun so much, don't we? This analogy just keeps going as I think through it. We always fight for, oh, I'm going to be the driver. The most interesting thing that happened to me was when my wife drove my truck and my girls sat in the front seat, and I sat in the back seat. I've never sat in the back seat of my own truck. <laughs> Think about that. And it felt weird, but really cool at the same time. Like, she's driving, you guys are enjoying front seat, you know, like I'm normally the one up there, and control the radio, all that stuff, you know, like, they get it. And they're just glowing, you know, and I'm like, wow, this is really different. Um, but I think that takes a posture, a heart posture, right? Of like, oh, I'll sit in the back so you guys can enjoy that right now. Like, there's something about it. There's something really beautiful that happens in that, in that moment where we begin to surrender and we begin to allow others to sit in the front seat. 
The other 10, they were indignant. They were angry. They were indignant that other people got better seats. And I, I wonder how often I'm indignant or jealous of other people who want a better seat. Imagine this conversation if the other 10 were like, dude, yeah, give those two the front seat. That'd be awesome. They've like been the best. And then they're like, whoa, actually we haven't been. They kind of feel guilty, right? Imagine that. We could flip this story in so many different ways and just be like, it speaks to our heart. It speaks to where we're at. And, um, and I think Jesus just really drives home this shift of true humility of like what it means to be a servant rather than to be served. Um, and we all agree, like, it feels good when somebody else elevates you over themselves, when somebody else is generous when they didn't need to be, when somebody else does something very loving when you don't even deserve it, right? Um, I think we have to look at ourselves and begin to reflect on the mission that God invites us into. And what Jesus was trying to teach them is that there's a mission that's in in play right now that's meant to transform this world. So the visual that he gave of leadership in our world and how the leadership of our world works, it oppresses others. It, it, it does whatever it takes to climb to the top. But he flipped it on his head and he said, those who want to be first, you're going to have to be a servant. And he says that that's what's going to transform this world that we live in. So if you sit here and you watch the news and you hear issues that are going on in our world and you're like, where's the hope? This is the hope. Servanthood is the hope. Like, what Jesus invites us to is the hope. This, like, countercultural way of living is the hope that says, no, we're going to love people regardless of any list you can come up with. Any list. Any identity issue, any title you give people. We're going to love people. And we're going to love them unconditionally. And that's the kind of invitation that Jesus wants to do. Like, where he says, I want to transform this world. And this is how we're going to do it. And the mission is through the greatest commandment, right? This is something we all know. I think it's something we forget. So I'm going to show it on the screen real quick. But there's a conversation between the religious leaders of that day and Jesus. And they're like, what's most important? What's the thing that you are all about? And here's how he narrows it down. I'll give it away. Love God, love people. Okay, but here's the complex version. Okay, so hearing that, Jesus had silenced uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Um, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, like, we're going to stump him. We're going to stump Jesus, and we're going to get him, like, caught him, catch him off guard. And he says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. It's not in there, but this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. All of Torah, he just summed up with, Love God with everything in you, everything in you, so that if there's a moment where you can take shotgun or you could give it to somebody else, if you could take the seat of prestige or you could give it to somebody else that you know would really enjoy it and it would make their day, you choose that. That your heart is so transformed, like love God so much that you want to do the thing that God wants to do continually. And what is the thing that God wants to do? Let people know that they are loved. That's it. To be in that relationship where people go, okay, I'm going to love him with my whole life, my whole self, my whole mind, my whole heart, my whole soul, my whole strength, everything. And then I'm going to love other people. And what Jesus does is he connects it. He's like, if you're going to love other people, 
Or if you're going to love God, you got to love other people. And if you're going to love other people, you also got to love God because you got to know how to love other people. Because sometimes our idea of love can be pretty twisted, right? The way of truly loving is surrender. Is the way that Jesus invites us of the surrender to loving God, hearing his heart, and then serving others and becoming the servant. And this word servant, I just want to unpack this and then we'll kind of wrap it up. But this, the word servant is this, uh, this word doulos, and it's this idea of a bond servant, somebody who chooses to be in servitude of someone else or something else. And so doulos, the servant idea, is that we are serving God, that my agenda now gets put to the side, and now God's agenda, God's heart becomes the thing that I desire most out of anything that all of my life is centered around just being a servant of God and completely centered around his heart. And so that idea of being voluntarily a slave to God, it's, there's something beautiful about that that doesn't jive with our, our culture, right? Our culture says, no, like, you are in charge, you do you, and you are powerful, and you... but. What this says is like, no, I'm going to be a servant because I know that this is ultimately what is good. That it's actually really freeing when I begin to serve God. That life becomes better, not only for me, but for others. Because I begin to see the joy on someone's face when they get shotgun. When they get the seed of prestige, right? Maybe you've heard the word doula, right? It's a midwife, somebody who helps. Yeah, somebody who helps somebody bring life into the world. So that's like the root word of it. And I, I love that that's still used today, that um, doulas are used that. It's like, it's bringing life into this world, that we are doulos and doulas, <laughs> that we bring life into this world continually by the way that we talk to people, by the seats that we give people, um, by the way that we feed people, by the way that we encourage, by the way that we think, everything about us completely centered around being a servant to bring life into this world. And that's, that's the goal, right? Like, we want to see life. We want to see people thrive. Um, but the only way that happens is through servanthood. Paul talks about in Galatians 2.22 or 2.20. says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul understood that, like, I have to, like, put aside myself so that Christ can live and Christ can shine through me. Um, John talks about it in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. He says, he must become greater. In a conversation with um, some of the disciples, the, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. John discovered that there's great joy in surrendering to Jesus and surrendering to God's will in his life. That as he began to put aside the selfishness, the, the pride that exists in us, and if we're all honest, it's there every day, right? It's like there's that battle. Um, that as he began to put that aside, as he became less and Christ became more in his life, that there's something really, really powerful that takes place. I think that what Mark did here in sandwiching these two passages is really beautiful. 
because we look to Jesus and the life that he lived and the way he modeled true sacrifice all the way to the cross, um, it models for us that like when we begin to sacrifice our own lives daily, um, when we connect with that kind of sacrificial way of living, life changes. Um, it changes the world we live in. It's not always going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus, right? So there's, it's not always easy to take the back seat, is it? Like, it's easy to say, yeah, it's cool to see the joy on someone's face when they take the front seat, but it's not always easy for us to take the back seat because sometimes our legs are longer and it's uncomfortable. Um, but I think it's, a, again, a heart posture. It's recognizing that God's will for others is that they experience his love and that we put that as the priority over ourselves, even over our own well-being at times. I know that's not going to ring well in our culture where it's like, no, you should always be well and always be happy and content and doing good. And then you can help others. But no, it's, sometimes it's going to cost us. Sometimes it's going to take some of our time, some of our money, some of our energy, mental power, whatever it is, um, for others to be included and loved and welcomed, right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost us. Um, and I think we have to be okay with that. And so I want to end with this this question, and we're going to end with communion. Um, and I just want to just ask is like, what is the cup that you're going to drink? Um, and the cup that we drink when we take communion uh, represents sacrifice. It represents what Jesus did on the cross and what Jesus said when he said, you take the bread and you take the juice and you dip it in and you drink of that cup. Um, you guys can come on up if you want. It's totally fine. Um, I totally forgot to bring the communion up, so thank you, Tiffany, for doing that, um, and Raina. Um, but when you take the bread um, and you drink the cup, what Jesus was doing with his disciples in the upper room and, and what he was calling them to do continually over and over um, is to be reminded that we are to be a people who are broken and poured out for the world the same way Jesus was broken and poured out, that his life was, he took a, a loaf of bread, and that's why I cut it in half and do this, is because he said, I'm like the bread that is broken in order for others to be nourished, right? That like in sacrifice, in serving, in surrendering our lives, that that becomes the thing that transforms this world. And so we take communion um, as a reminder to continually say, I want to be, I want that cup. I want that cup of being a servant. I want that cup of being the kind of person that says, you know what, I'm going to give you the front seat. I'm going to have a posture that says, I'm going to be about Jesus' way of approaching life as servants rather than as those who lord over others. And so when we take the bread, you just take it, dip it in the cup. Um, and sorry, I don't have the gluten-free one. It's hiding in that closet somewhere. Um, but it doesn't matter if you take it or not. It's the heart posture. It really is the heart. That's what matters most. And so what I want to do is, uh, if I just have Bo come up and just play a closing song and that you can reflect and begin to think, am I, am I drinking this cup of sacrifice or am I drinking the cup of pride? And my way is the highway. I'm going to keep going my way in my prideful way. Or are we going to go, I'm going to sacrifice so that this world can be transformed. I'm going to live the way that Jesus invited me to so that this world can be more, um, I guess, engaged with what Jesus is doing. And so um, I would just invite you just 
whenever you want, come on up. We're a small enough crew here. You can just work your way around the chairs. But whenever you want and you feel like you're prepared, just grab a little piece of bread and dip it in there. Try not to dip your fingers in there and keep it clean. But um, dip in there and just take it and eat it and go back to your seat and maybe have a moment as, as we're closing with this song just to begin to think, like, what are the areas that we can begin to serve, to love, to begin to drink that cup of servanthood, that cup of sacrifice um, that Jesus invites us into. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for modeling what it looks like to um, have your body broken and poured out for us, that we might have life eternal. And so um, we want to step into that. And and Lord, I just pray that um, as we take the bread, as we drink the juice, like we're reminded of the sacrifice that you gave and the invitation as well to live this kind of life of love this kind of life of self-sacrifice that gives others the best seat. Um, So uh, we love you, Jesus, and we're just so grateful for the the model that you give us of what it looks like to live life to the full, and uh, we want that. We know it's a challenge at times, but we want that. So we step into it now out of obedience, and we love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Grab it and dig in. There's a video that I put in the bulletin this week that uh, is basically just like the the preview to uh, Free Burma Rangers, which is a guy who gave up his life in order for people in Burma to be set free and to have love, support, help, food, shelter. Um, him and his wife and his three kids gave up everything to live there, to sacrifice, to begin to help people who are in the middle of conflict um, experience some freedom and experience some hope. And um, I would encourage you to watch it. I don't have time to describe the whole scenario, but I would encourage you to watch it. You can watch the movie too. Um, But it models a life of somebody who said, I'm going to lay down my life so that others can experience life to the full. And I think we need that modeled to us continually. Sometimes we just... We don't have an imagination to see it happen, but um, every single one of us have an opportunity wherever we live and the families that we have to give someone a better seat, right? And, um, and I would say just even today, as you go into the rest of this day, maybe it's buying someone some ice cream on National Ice Cream Day. I don't know. Um, I would like some ice cream. Just kidding. Uh, but maybe it's buying some, some ice cream or maybe it's just doing something where you go out of your way just today, one small little thing, Um, to begin to be the upside-down kingdom kind of people, the Jesus kind of people that say, we're going to serve rather than be served. And watch how that begins to unfold and how that begins to have a ripple effect in the world we live in. So um, we close with this benediction that we read every, every Sunday. So rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, that he's guiding and protecting us. And share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Grace and peace to you. Have a great afternoon.